This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and of course, I have my co-host, Matt, here with me. We are continuing along with our position review for the New York Jets ahead of the 2023 season during the offseason here. We are going to take a look at the wide receiver position today. A lot of movement so far for the Jets in the wide receiver room. Maybe some unexpected movement at that, but definitely a lot. probably the most action of anything they've done so far in the offseason has come at wide receiver. They've signed two guys in free agency, being Alan Lazard and Mecole Hardman. They've also traded Elijah Moore to the Cleveland Browns. Garrett Wilson's coming off an offensive rookie of the year you know, campaign. We're excited to see him in year two. Matt, we were just talking before we hit record, discussing this position group as a whole. It's kind of crazy that we're sitting here going, this is the most addressed position they've had so far in the offseason, and we still both don't think they're done. No, they we, they can't be right now. If they're going in with Lazard and G-Dubs as our sole outside guys, and then Nicole Hardman as our number three, a slot guy, uh, that, that I feel like there's a problem there because it doesn't really speak to what their identity is on offense, which is fluidity within the positions. They, we feel like they want to be able to go in and out with everybody they have, whether it's uh, Wilson in the slot, who did a lot of damage in the slot, or Lazard, who spent about 50% of his time in the slot. So all these guys have the fluidity. And so then it's really about who's that third guy. Uh, whether they put if they put uh, Wilson inside, then who's going to be outside with Lazard? So that that's a big question. Whether it, they traded more, so it's definitely not going to be more. And I doubt it's going to be McColl. So who is it? Is it Mims? Do they expect Mims to step into that role? I don't think so. And, and then kind of just mix and match. But I don't think that's the case because if they do that, then it kind of really uh, tips their hand at what they're doing. Um, so then that all that leaves is Corey Davis and looking towards the free agency with Odell uh, before we get to the draft as, as our option. Uh, so we're talking about Davis and how, yeah, you can move him inside on spot duty, uh, but really he's going to make his money outside. Uh, so it, is the fluidity there with him a little bit, but not, as much as if we go the free agency route with Odell. Odell uh, thrives on the on the outside, spends about 80% of his time on the outside, but he does some serious damage on the inside. Uh, so a lot like Wilson, kind of, where he can be on the outside and, and do a lot of his work out there, but when he's inside, he can do some real damage. Uh, and having the flexibility with all three of those guys uh, will allow... Hack it to, to really uh, get imaginative. Um, the one thing with Corey that Corey brings to the table is his blocking and size. Uh, having Lazard and Davis out there at the same time, uh, I think, adds a nice layer of protection uh, and a little bit of muscle when it comes to the run game. 
so I can I can definitely see the appeal of keeping Davis. Uh, but then when, when you think about Davis, then you have to think of his price tag. Uh, I believe they reached out to him for a pay cut. I don't know if he did, denied a pay cut, uh, but I, I, I'm not sure if they want to keep that contract. And when we eventually do bring Rodgers in, uh, where's that money coming from? So Corey Davis is still a question mark. And then if they do bring in Odell, then he's going to cost something as well. So it, it, there's there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, I really think everything with this situa- uh, situation right now, it, it all hinges on Corey Davis and what happens with him. The Jets have said, and this is just what they've said publicly, so take that as you will. It very well may or may not be true, but they've said publicly that they like Davis a lot and they value him and they want to try and keep him on the team. And that to me is kind of really, really interesting because as you alluded to, Matt, the money is what's eventually going to be the problem here. The Jets have already invested a good amount into the wide receiver position. They gave Lazard a four-year deal at slightly less value per year than what they gave Davis on a three-year deal a handful of years ago. And that money's got to come from somewhere. Mecole Hardman, his contract isn't too expensive, but it's not nothing for a number four receiver that you already had in Denzel Mims or whoever else it would might be that was cheaper. It's definitely a and more expensive than Barrios for what they cut Barrios for. They're paying more for Mecole. So you're you're investing all this money. And if you're trying to add Odell to that mix, that's going to be even more. And oh, yeah, you got to pay Rodgers at some point, too, if and when that trade happens. So the real question here is, does Corey Davis stay or go? Because I really think it'll influence the rest of their room and what they look to add and how they choose to round out the group if he is part of this team and if he is not. If he's part of this team, I think the, the next guy you're looking for is a true slot receiver that can match up and be the fourth that can sub in with Garrett Wilson, let him spend some time on the outside. Because if you have Corey Wilson and Lazard as your top three, it seems likely that Corey and Lazard are going to be the ones on the outside because that's where they work best. Maybe Lazard gets some time on the inside when Garrett's outside too, but it may not be every play. And especially in the run game, you're going to want Corey and Lazard on the outside as your lead blockers on outside zone. So does Garrett spend all his time in the slot? If they let go of Corey, then I think you might you might see them look to add another guy that fits a little more of that size profile where if they only have Alan Lazard as the only big receiver on their team that can make contested catches and you're having a bunch of other guys that are six foot at best, Garrett Wilson's fantastic. And I think he's a great player that plays bigger than his size, too, and not saying he can't make tough grabs, but sometimes you're going to have that that go up and get it guy that needs to take a shot over the middle and hold on to a ball or adjust down the sideline and make some crazy circus catch. And we've seen Lazard do that with Rodgers for a very, very long time. The Jets don't really have anybody else besides Corey Davis that can even somewhat do it. And I'm not saying Corey Davis is so good at it to where he can't even be improved from by somebody else either. So it's a really interesting question. I think what we're waiting to see is... What happens with this Aaron Rodgers trade and is Corey Davis included in it? Because I think there's a high likelihood that that is the case. The Packers obviously lost Lazard coming to the Jets and they need another guy that can fill in that role in that offense and play that outside receiver position. And Corey Davis just did it for two years with the Jets and a handful of years before that with the Titans when he was with Matt LaFleur, uh, who is the head coach of Green Bay now. So you have some familiarity there as well. And it makes a lot of sense in the world for that trade to be executed if the Packers are interested and if that would be a way to get things done with this deal and maybe take away some picks given up by the Jets by including a player. Who knows? But it's really interesting to see the Jets standpoint of we really like him, we want to keep him. And from how we're evaluating it from the outside in and with all the moves that they've made, and I don't want to speak for you, Matt, and if you feel differently correctly, correct me, but I kind of feel like speaking for the both of us, it seems like they know he's going to be gone. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. And when you look at what we've gotten from him, it, it's not really telling to what he was able to do before the Jets. Uh, he was very reliable for Tennessee. He, he definitely had injuries, but he didn't have as many drops. Uh, and he was uh, just a target that Tannehill could really lean on. Uh, but for us, he, 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 the injuries persisted. But then also, he just wasn't as reliable of a receiver, even when he was healthy. Uh, I, I wonder if that was more Zach than anything else. So I, I'm curious if, if with a guy like Rodgers, 
that he goes back to being a little bit more reliable, but then you still have to worry about the injury. So overall, his his experience here with the Jets has been a letdown. Uh, so I I can definitely see us parting ways with him and him, him being part part of uh, a, a deal for Rodgers. I I I could see that hundred percent. Yeah, I think so, too. And the question is, will Green Bay be interested? That's not a guarantee. I think it makes a lot of sense for them. I think it fills the need very, very easily with a player that they are already familiar with that they know knows the offense. Uh, essentially, it's very, you know, different variations of the same scheme that they're all based on from. That's why you see these coaches and people change teams and players change teams and all of the same coaching staff because they all know you're basically running the same plays that you did before. They're just called things slightly different and they're coached slightly different. I think it makes a lot of sense for Green Bay, but there's no guarantee that that's going to be the case. There's also no guarantee that if Green Bay isn't interested, that the Jets don't just cut him. Because he was one of the most likely cap casualties before the offseason and everyone was expecting could be just outright released. Jets will save over $10 million by cutting him. He's got an $11 million cap hit, a little over $11 million, and he's got about $660,000 in dead cap against that. So that's $10.5 million you're saving if you're the New York Jets by cutting Corey Davis, even if you don't get anything back for him. And that's money that you could take. And I think this is how we transition to this conversation. That's money you could give to Odell Beckham if you're so interested. Yeah. Here's the thing. When you look at the strength of the draft when it comes to wide receivers, it's more slot guys or smaller guys. So Mm -hmm. right now, Corey Davis is kind of at a, is is has some value to him. So if the Packers are looking for a bigger wide receiver to replace Lazard, Davis is the perfect guy. So I, I think it's more likely that he's part of that trade than he is uh, any a, a cut casualty. Uh, so, but then yeah, it, I, I would say going back to what we were saying before about fluidity, I think. Odell fits that mold just a little bit more. Uh, but then you got all the questions with him. He's had surgery for an ACL twice, I believe, so far. Uh, yeah. So are we getting Odell of old? Yeah, we can see him in underwear catching balls with one hand uh, behind his back over and over again. But when it comes to on-field presence and productivity, who are we getting? Uh, yeah, he he went to the Rams and and definitely helped contribute to to their Super Bowl run. Uh, he did get hurt in in the Super Bowl, but he still contributed. Uh, so it, it's really hard to say. Uh, I don't think with either Corey or Odell, we're gonna get a full season out of them. I think it so just with that alone, kind of m- makes the the price tag a little bit more important for a guy that you might not be able to rely on for a full season. Is he worth $10 million? No. So that probably disqualifies Corey. And then we really don't know what Odell's asking for at this point. He's gone out and said that he's, that he's never said that he was looking for like 20 or 15. Um, he just said he wants more than three. All right. Well, I guess we can find something between three and 10 and find a place for Odell. Um, it, it, it's it's just really hard to say where which way they're going to go, but I would lean a lot more towards Odell. Yeah, I, I agree. And I know there's a lot of people uh, that are fans of the Jets that are really mixed on this. There's a lot of people that want Odell, that want to bring him in, that think it would be the perfect move, that quite honestly think they're getting 2014 Odell, and, and that's the person that's going to walk into their building. And there's other people that think it could be too much of a distraction. He hasn't played. He's coming off injuries. You know, there's the questions of age. He's going to be entering his ninth year in the NFL, I believe, or 10th year, actually. Um, This is a guy that's getting older. I believe he's past 30 at this point. And dealing with his injuries, a player like Odell has always thrived off his explosion and his speed. He's able to make these incredible catches. His hands are fantastic. His route running is awesome. His ability to make people miss in space. All of that is great. Odell is a a fantastic, fantastic receiver and has been for a long time. But the number one thing that makes him so special is his ability to run. And if he isn't up to that same level, granted, you wouldn't expect anybody to be after 10 years in the league. But if he isn't up to a a serviceable Odell Beckham level that even he himself would agree and feel comfortable with saying is up to his standard, then you're going to have to take less money 
as a result. You're not going to teams aren't going to be getting the Odell that they think they're getting. And I think you can still find room for him, even if that's the case, though. And that's kind of the the midpoint where I fall with this is I think signing Odell would be a perfectly fine move. I think if the money is right and you're not paying too much, you're getting another veteran receiver, a guy that can teach Garrett some things that I think would help make him even better. Two players with very similar play styles and ways that they go about their business and how they win on the field. I think you could have from a gameplay standpoint and from a technique standpoint, a great mentor for Garrett Wilson and Odell Beckham. The question is, do you want to have a guy with Odell's reputation and media coverage and Uh, potential off-field nonsense coming in and messing up the culture in your locker room that you've worked so hard to build up. I don't know. And I don't know if Odell would even be that way. Who's to say Odell wouldn't come in and be a great teammate? And maybe he just wants to come in and win and everyone's going to fall in line. That's best case scenario, but there's no guarantee there. I think it's worth signing Odell because it gives you flexibility on offense. You can move your pieces around. You can let Garrett play wherever you want him to play, wherever the position to maximize his talents the best are, because he is your number one receiver and he is the guy you need to be feeding the ball to more often than not. If you can fill out the rest of the team with guys to rotate in around him and play off of that talent and let Garrett do what Garrett does best and fill whatever role they are needed to fill on that particular day, and Odell is one of those guys, I think, I think it's the best way to do it. And I think you're going to save money anyway, because I don't think Odell's going to make 10 million. I think you could pay seven to eight million for Odell for one year, and I would be perfectly fine with that contract. I, I had one extra thought, but uh, I think it also depends on what do they want to prioritize. Uh, when it came to last year, I can see us wanting to prioritize the run a lot more because we had Hall. We had a great running game with him. Right. And if we were going to have Hall back to 100%, if they were expecting him to be back to 100% uh, for the, uh, the early in the season or the, the whole season, I think they maybe go a little bit more towards Corey to, as, as with his uh, run blocking. But I think that it might be a little telling that if they go to Odell, that they really want to emphasize Rodgers and his prowess in the air. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I really do, because it it makes a lot of sense from the team aspect of besides being that outside bigger receiver that, as Robert Sala likes to say, can run all the big boy routes and go over the middle and make tough catches. The best thing Corey Davis has done for the Jets is block. And so if you are valuing him and you want to keep him for that reason, then there might be more of a, a run influence than we could think for this offense. And if not, and if you're saying however it ends up happening via trade or cut or however Corey Davis ends up not on the team and you pivot to Odell, and you look to add him in, that's definitely signifying that this is going to be the Rodgers show. We are going to be looking to throw the ball first and foremost, and our run game is going to be a complement to our passing game, not the other way around. I totally agree. Yeah, I agree too. All right, let's get into these draft prospects. We've been through the free agent market. is pretty much dried up at this point. The Jets already added two bodies, could add a third in Odell. The draft is where they're going to round this group out. And I really think that there is some good talent in the middle of the draft in the middle to late rounds between about three and five that could be had for the Jets to add into this roster that you're going to get guys that you don't need to contribute right away year one and be the starting rookie receiver that has to come out and dominate immediately can learn from the other guys in the room, can be a valuable piece on special teams, can continue to grow. And then if you let guys that you signed on one-year deals this year in Mecole Hardman and assumingly, in this case, Odell Beckham, I guess, you're going to have spots to fill the following year. We don't have much faith in Denzel Mims in his future. There really isn't anybody else after on the depth chart that is worth talking about besides practice squad players. Would love to see one of them you know, come out of nowhere and, and elevate, but we can't guarantee that. Matt, I want you to go ahead and start off here. Who's your first guy? Because we, we've kind of have things separated a little bit this week where you're taking some of the, the smaller, shiftier, maybe slot-oriented players, and I have more of the, the bigger bodies on the outside. So in this scenario, saying the Jets are looking for a slot receiver, who's the guy you want to talk about? All right. So I've been fascinated with, uh, with guys that play tough. Like we, we, we always talk about how we want dogs on this team. Um, I, and I, and I said before how the strength of this draft is more slot guys, smaller guys, guys with speed rather than big body guys. Uh, so when it comes to little guys, a lot of time, they're not that strong, that they're, they, 
they rely more on their quickness than than their physicality. So I'm looking for the guys that have the physicality uh, or play with an edge um, that are also small and and quick. Uh, so my first guy is Parker Washington from Penn State. Uh, he's only 5'9", 209, uh, but he plays a lot bigger than his size. Uh, I know we're just moving on from more, uh, but right now if you look at the way that our roster's made up, you got a lot more big guys than you have speedy, fast, smaller guys. Uh, so having a little bit more depth in, in that uh, part of the world uh, can maybe go a long way. Um, he's got a nice, uh, decently low uh, drop rate of uh, 5.2 for his career. Uh, but the, what really sticks out is his contestant catch rate uh, at a little over uh, 50%. Uh, you don't really see that that often with these smaller guys uh, because they're usually getting in contested catch situations uh, bodied by uh, by uh, stronger defenders. Uh, so seeing that in a guy like Parker Washington is kind of telling, and his tape uh, kind of reflects that as well. Um, he has uh, the, the strength when it comes to these contested catch uh, situations where he's not afraid to to go and get in the chest of these defenders and make these uh, really circus catches really over these guys. He's got amazing concentration and body control uh, that results in some wild, wild plays. Uh, and then when it comes to just uh, speed and, and ability to, to make people miss in, in the open field, he, he's got that as well. He's got the, the quickness and the agility and the field vision. Uh, to really uh, make a difference uh, once the ball's in his hands. Uh, he's got the long speed as well, so if we want to get him on a nine route, uh, let's go for it. Uh, he's got a lot going for him. Uh, and right now, if we're looking for a guy in... right, I have a second round grade for him, but I feel like most other people are kind of sleeping on him. I've seen him go as far as the fourth round in, in a lot of uh, draft boards. So if he's there anywhere past the second, I would love to jump on him. Right now, we don't have a third-round pick. Uh, that could change if we trade back, maybe. Who knows? Uh, so it, it, there's possibilities where we could see him uh, past the second round. But right now, I think he's a solid second-round pick. Um, and I, I, I would love to add him to the room. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot to like with him. He he's definitely in that like I'm gonna maximize everything that I can do mold. And I'm not the most athletically gifted. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. But I'm gonna absolutely try my hardest, and I'm gonna give my effort and everything I can, and I'm gonna work on my craft to be as good as what I can do in the meantime. And, and he does that all really well. His ability to high point passes for being five ten and two hundred pounds is really impressive. Really, really, really impressive. You would not expect a guy with his size to be the vertical skyrocketing make the grab in the air and come down with it and it's kind of funny that penn state just had a guy very similar like this before in jahan dotson i feel mm -hmm. like dotson's a little more explosive a little more electric and washington's a little bit thicker a little bigger and a little better at breaking tackles maybe like you said after the catch is definitely there and some talent um i have a weird stylistic comparison for him that i know you're gonna absolutely love matt and i'm kind of a little surprised you haven't said it yourself he kind of plays like Wayne Corbett. Ooh, <laughs> you start getting my whiskers all perked up when you. Say I was going to say, I, I know, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm, I'm striking a chord with you there, but it's, it's that same sort of play style where it's, you know, you're five ten, you know, Corbett was about one ninety, this guy's Washington's about two hundred. You're decently thickly built. You're quick. You're shifty. You can make people miss. You have great hands. You can make contested catches. You don't care about contact. You can run deep if you absolutely have to. You give them some time to build up the speed and it'll be enough to maybe get behind some people. You're not going to be an outright deep threat every single play that's going to dominate and fear defenses, but you can get the job done when needed. Tough over the middle, makes plays after the catch, strong hands. It's like, I'm, am I describing Washington or Corbett? Yes. Like, yeah. It seems like they're, <laughs> they're very, very similar players. And I know Jets fans absolutely adore Wayne Corbett. And I could see Parker Washington being a similar style of player for them in that same mold. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite Corbett plays was actually a fumble, but uh, it, he caught a pass uh, over the middle and then he tries to jump over two bears 
uh, and they absolutely annihilate him. But the fact that he even tried it in the first place just shows the the balls and the gumption that he has. And I see, yeah, I definitely see that in, in Washington. Yeah, I, I like I like that idea a lot. And I, I didn't think about it until we were sitting here talking, but it really does fit. And I think that if you're looking for a guy that's going to be your slot that you aren't absolutely prioritizing threatening vertical speed, then I think you could do a lot worse than Parker Washington. I have about a third round grade on him. That's just because I value the athleticism so much uh, with all positions in my rankings. And I'm looking for ceiling most off uh, more than anything else. And I just know that he's a little bit of a limited athlete. And it's not that he's a bad athlete. It's not that he's horrible. It's but for his size and relative to everything else, if you're going to be 5'10 and 200, I would want to see some vertical explosion. And there just isn't quite enough for me to want to push him into that second round or higher range. But as a solid third round pick, I would be fine with it. And if he's a pick in the fourth round, the Jets got a good player in the fourth round. I mean, he's pretty quick still. He's not going to be the fastest guy in the world. He did run a sub 4540 at 4. A four point four nine, so just under the 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 gun there. But uh, he he he's got some speed. But yeah, you're you're right. He's he's not going to be. He's not the most athletic. He's not the most the fastest guy. Uh, and that will drag him down a little bit. He, the fact that he's not hitting a lot of these benchmarks. Uh, so some teams might drop him. Uh, I could definitely see that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really where if if he goes in the third or fourth, that's definitely where I'm looking at him. I would agree. I think that would be a good spot for him. I think the idea of the Jets trading down from 13 is seeming more and more likely as time goes on uh, to try and recoup some picks, especially the ones they're going to lose for Aaron Rodgers eventually, if that ends up being in the 2023 draft or not. I think that's a good possibility. I'm not ruling out the idea of the Jets eventually getting that third round pick back that they gave up to trade Elijah Moore and get a two back from Cleveland in that deal. Looking ahead, Let's turn over the page here to one of my guys on the bigger side, more of the outside boundary receiver style. And there is no one I want to talk about more today than Cedric Tillman from Tennessee. And I guess I'm a volunteer fan uh, with this class. It seems like all of the volunteers, major players I just love. I saw them in person beat Alabama, and I guess it just hooked me. I don't know. But Cedric Tillman is a seriously, seriously good player. That would be a true next level addition of a threat to add to this offense where I think Parker Washington as good as he is. And as much as I like his skill, I don't know if he's, I feel like he's a compliment to the group. I don't know if he's an X factor in the group. I think Cedric Tillman could be an X factor in the group. I think you could have Cedric Tillman and eventually have your top three receivers of Tillman, Garrett and Lazard. And I think that trio could carry you. I think you could ride with those three guys for a while and do some real, real damage to the rest of the NFL because you have three guys that can line up anywhere that can do anything you can ask of them that are all tough, that are all explosive, that are all dangerous down the field when they need to be and are just badasses that in general that don't take any stuff from anybody and are willing to run through people's face. That sort of all gas, no breaks attitude. Cedric Tillman absolutely has it. When you're scouting Cedric Tillman, you have to be very aware that he was hurt in 2022. And you can't take his 2022 statistics for what they are and judge him just purely off this past year. He was playing through injuries. He had been hurt for uh, part of the season. He had missed a handful of games, came back when he wasn't fully healthy, played through it. You got to go back and look at his 2021. His 2021 season, he was fantastic. He had a couple of games against Georgia and Alabama where he was putting up multiple touchdowns, well over 150 yards. I believe he had 200 yards and a score against Georgia. He had about 160 and two scores against Alabama. I believe he had over 1,100 yards on the season. He was a dominant, dominant player. Six foot three, 213 pounds in the SEC. Ran a four five four at the combine. Had a one five three ten yard split, which is really good. I think he's faster than 4.54 on tape. A fully healthy Cedric Tillman running go balls down the boundary looks faster than 4.54 to me. If Parker Washington ran a 4.49, then I think Cedric Tillman's running at least a 4.49. And I, I'm not going to put too much stock into that 40 time. I still think he was also recovering, playing through the injury, probably slowed down his recovery as well. If you can get a fully healthy Cedric Tillman, you have an athletic dominant outside receiver that I think can win from the slot if you need him to as well and will absolutely kill people on the outside for however long you want him to. Vertical speed, 100% there. Crispness in his routes, just because he's bigger doesn't mean he's stiff. He's able to be fluid. He can make sharp breaks. He's explosive off the ball. That's the one thing with him that, that really sticks out to me is just his stop and start to go from a standing start off the line to accelerating up the field. It's two steps and he's flying. 
for he has no wasted movement. It doesn't have any buildup speed. He is quick and immediately fast. And that is huge for receivers for me because you need to threaten defensive backs as fast as possible. You need to get them on their toes. You need to back them off. You need to get them to open their hips. And that opens up everything else underneath. Uh, certain wide receiver coaches, if they coach this sort of principle, then I love them. And if this is how they treat it, tell their guys to play, then I think they're doing things right. Not everyone does it this way, but this is how I feel. You want to make every single route you run look like a go ball. You want to make every route you run for the first five, six steps look like a go route. When you're coming off that line, you want to charge hard downfield as fast as you can and scare that defensive back in that corner on you to get them to back off, get them to turn their hips and open up and start to run deep. Once they do that, then you pick on them underneath. Then you make you run your break inside, you run your curl, you run your dig, you run your out, whatever you want to do. You're going to have all of that free space because that corner is backed off. Tillman has the explosiveness off the line that threatens defensive backs immediately. And that is huge for me. I really, really like that for him. He's got strong hands over the middle. He's tough. His contested catchability and high point ability are just as good as a Parker Washington. Uh, maybe not so much extended from his frame. Washington was really good at making the, the circus hands catches in the air and coming down with them. I think Tillman's a little more, you know, has to get it closer to his body, but his ability to adjust, his ability to see the ball, track the ball, have the body control to adjust, make the catch, and then adjust his lower body to stay in bounds and come down with it is, is really, really impressive. He can make plays after the catch. This is a, a starting NFL receiver that is going to be more than just a number three. Uh, you know, this could this guy could be a really, really good number two. I think you let him you get him in the right offense in the right place. Maybe he's even a number one. And the only reason he's being talked about as a mid round draft pick is because he was hurt in 2022. And his teammate, Jalen Hyatt, who is a smaller, faster, explosive, shiftier guy who neither of us are that big of fans of, seemed to take over in his spot while he was injured and stole all the hype. And the NFL is going to fall for speed every time. The, the league draft media, everybody is sleeping on this kid. And if he is not, if you are consider yourself someone who scouts the draft or looks at players or grades or anything and Cedric Tillman is not one of your five best receivers in this class, you're doing something wrong, period. You're doing something wrong. He is one of the five best receivers in this class. He absolutely deserves to be. And if by some chance of God, the Jets don't get a third round pick and he's there in round four, it's the steal of the draft, period. It is the it will be the best pick of the draft and it's not even close. I think this guy is a possible first round talent. I think he's at least a top 40 talent. And if you can get that in round four or at the end of round three, I think you're 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 stealing. That's the only way to put it. You're mm -hmm. absolutely stealing. I am a huge, huge fan of Cedric Tillman. Watch his 2021. Watch what he has been before. And with his size, with his explosion, with his hands, with his agility, with his ball tracking with his ability to make plays after the catch. This stuff just translates straight to the league. This is exactly what you look for in modern outside receivers. And I really don't know, besides his injury and besides testing, maybe not quite as well as people would have expected, what there isn't to like with him. Yeah, there's a lot to like with him. Uh, like Parker Washington, I have a higher grade than probably most of the league. Uh, not you, of course. because You, you think of him as a first-round talent. I have him as... Uh, an early second fringe round first talent. round. I don't quite yeah. know if I'm ready to say that just yet, but he's he's a top. He will be in my top forty. I guarantee it. Yeah, he he's definitely in my top fifty right now. Uh, as as far as the the a boundary guy with size and physicality, he fits the bill right away. And yeah, he ran a four five four forty, but his long strides will get him out in front of guys uh, very easily. He does. It doesn't seem like he's moving that fast, but he he's still moving. Uh, and then, yeah, if you want those back shoulder passes from Rodgers or, or jump balls, uh, he's a guy that can do it. He's very good at high pointing. Uh, he Yeah, like you said, he, he's not going to make the, the circus catches away from his frame, but he is physical at the catch point. If he's yes. going up there with the defender, he's more than likely coming down with it. In fact, he came down with more uh, contested catches than... Than uh, than Washington, uh, and he's a reliable too. I love reliable hands. He has a four point four drop rate. Uh, that's that's getting in the the range of of uh, there's there's a, usually like a range of between like one and four where I start to look at these guys as extremely reliable hands catchers uh, that you can just 
throw it at uh, whether one any down, and there's a good chance that they're going to come away with it. Uh, or the kind of guys that you want to rely on when you need to play most. Uh, so he's right on the cusp of that range. And that, that gets me excited with his size. Yeah, he didn't have the 2022 that, uh, that matches his 2021 tape. But you know what? The tape is still there, and it says a lot about him. Yeah, it really does. It, it absolutely, absolutely does. It, he's Josh Gordon. Like that's he starts saying names like Josh Gordon. It just brings out a whole lot of other. He's Josh. He's Josh Gordon with his head on straight. At least from all (laughs) I can tell, there's no uh, all we from what we have. The information that we have gathered, there's nothing off the field. There's no effort issues. You know, he's loved by the team. There doesn't seem to be any sort of question with the talent. But stylistically, on field, off tape, body size, athleticism, all of that. He's Josh Gordon. Like this is what he is. Six foot three, 220 pounds, runs faster than he should, explosive as hell off the ball. One, five, three, 10 yard split backs that up, makes contested catches, great body control, tough over the middle, absolutely no fear. Will will attack the ball in the air as, as he's attacking the defender for it. You know, like there's this is Josh Gordon. Like uh, this is it hit me like a ton of bricks this morning going back and rewatching him. I'm sitting there in my head going, this is the exact type of receiver that I like. This is my brand of receiver. It, it's, I want size and I want explosion. I want the guys that can do everything. The guys that have true X number one elite potential. It's why DK Metcalf is one of the highest graded I've ever given a receiver prospect. And there was this, you know, what about his three cone? Can he run routes? I didn't care because not many guys that are six, three to over 220 pounds and run that fast, jump that high, make that make our ability to make catches like that in the air, adjust their body and come down with the ball. They don't fail. They, they just don't fail. It's it's very rare to see a guy like that fail, and I think Tillman's just the next in line. I, he is he's a natural at, at everything he does. It, it just looks like it comes easy for him. It doesn't look like he has to try to think. There could be a bit of a transition from Tennessee's offense. It's a wide open scheme. It's definitely not NFL, you know, direct. And that's where I think if you're taking this guy, you have to know that you're taking him for the future. And I think that he'd be the perfect guy to add to this Jets receiving group. Because you don't need him to be that thing and that guy in year one, especially if you add Odell, you really don't need him to be that guy in year one. And you can just give him time to learn, give him time to get fully healthy, don't have to press any sort of return from injury, give him that redshirt year, let him learn the offense and then get some spot time along the way, let him fill in when the time is right, see if he can get some special teams value, find some packages for him in the red zone, or if you get in the 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 deep red zone, you're at the 35 and you want to take a shot, you know, give him an opportunity. And then in year two, when your one year deal for Odell is gone and he walks and you need a number, another number three receiver, I think this guy fills right up the alley and, and walks in in year two and is one of your starters. And I think a, a tandem of Garrett and Tillman could be, could be very, very, very good for a very, very, very long time. Uh, I, I think you have two young talents that can line up anywhere that are dangerous down the field that can make plays in traffic that can make plays after the catch that can do anything you ask of ask of them and every defense in the league is going to have to pay attention to both of them on every snap i'm i really 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 like cedric tillman i would love for the jets to find a way to get him because i think he is the perfect perfect piece to add to this group yeah uh if i'm looking for a nice complimentary weapon to g-dubs going forward and Lazard for however long we have him. Uh, yeah, Tillman is right up there with the, the guys I'm looking at. Yeah, I really think he's a, a, the, like I said, the perfect piece to add. Uh, I, would, I would absolutely adore him. Uh, well, who's your next guy, Matt? Let's move along here. All right, I'm going to stick with the smaller guys here uh, and go with Marvin Mims uh, from Oklahoma. The, this guy uh, was looked at as possibly a, a very much of a, of a rising the star uh, last year, uh, and he pretty much just played around the same level uh, this year. He didn't really take the giant leap forward that a lot were hoping for, uh, but he didn't take a step back either, uh, and he just kind of showed the same reliability that he showed last year. Uh, he's 5'11", 183, got a drop rate at around 5.9, uh, contested catches uh, is a little lower than, than uh, uh, the, the other two guys that we've been talking about, uh, but like uh, like Washington, he's got return man experience, uh, which is something that's a little underrated because we just lost Barrios, 
Uh, I know we brought Harmon in. Uh, I don't know if they want him to be the primary return guy. Uh, but if not, Mims is probably one of the most reliable return guys in this draft class. Uh, so having that as an option adds uh, tremendous value. Uh, he's also got the, the fastest 40 time out of any of the guys that we talked about. He ran a sub 440, sub 4440 with a 4.38. Um, so he's got the explosiveness that you, you look for. Uh, he's definitely a, a guy that you need to respect uh, when it comes to his speed, or else he will blow right by you. Uh, unlike guys like Hyatt from Tennessee, uh, they teams weren't afraid to play him uh, with a press man, get a, get in his face, get a, get their hands on him, uh, and for the most part, it it does slow him down. It, it, it does. Uh, he is since he is on the smaller side, uh, it, he doesn't have the same physicality to really be able to fight through uh, those violent hands of defenders. Uh, but what he does have is that explosiveness, which I mentioned, and. If he gets even the slightest bit of an opening, he will explode, and he will make up any ground that is lost off the line. Um, so, yeah, he's mostly going to be a slot guy. Uh, I can definitely see uh, some value in spot uh, duties on the outside. Uh, but, yeah, mostly on the inside, uh, where he can use his explosiveness, uh, his suddenness and, and smoothness at a break, uh, to really gain separation uh, and make people pay uh, in the open field uh, because he does a great job of making people miss, of uh, really just uh, using his field vision to define the creases to get extra yards. Uh, he, he's a, a guy that I, I really like, and he's not going to cost us an early round pick. Uh, I see him more as a third, fourth round guy. Um, he didn't turn anybody's heads with his stats. He didn't. He didn't uh, hit the thousand yard mark, which uh, I believe uh, did Tillman uh, get thousand yards last year. No, I don't think he did in twenty twenty two. I know he did in twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty one. So let me get the exact stats we, out here for you. Either way, he's he's not gonna be the guy that you want to rely on to be a starter right away. I see him kind of. You know, taking the uh, a rookie year to really get his legs under him, uh, to maybe uh, make an impact on special teams, um, and kind of be a depth guy that we need to just fill out this this uh, this group. Um, even if we do really uh, trade Corey and get OBJ, I would still want this move, uh, just because yeah, he adds that speed, more speed to to a room. Uh, and uh, more ability in the slot uh, position group that really only has McCole Hardman as the sole uh, slot majority guy. Other guys, they're, they're fluid, like we said, and they could play inside or outside. Uh, but when it comes to just having a pure slot guy, uh, other than Hardman, we have no one. So I would love the idea of bringing in Mims uh, if we get a third round pick or if he falls to the fourth round. Yeah, I really like his ability. Uh, the one thing you had mentioned talking about his vision running after the catch and how he can find creases and defenses and make the right cut and explode through it and get upfield. I really like that. And I really think it also translates to when he's catching passes over the middle. He does a really good job of catching passes in stride and not slowing down at all, where he's he can be running full speed and the ball can hit him dead in the chest and he doesn't even have to blink. Just catches it, he grabs it, keeps turning, moves on. And it's just one fluid movement. And I think that really helps with his ability. You pair that with his speed. He's already so fast. It makes it so hard to keep up with him down the field. It just gets him extra yards after the catch. I, I really think he could fit in. I, you know, I'm a sucker for speed. You, you know, I absolutely love speed, especially at receiver. Uh, I want to scare defenses vertically, horizontally, every inch of the field. I want you to have to worry about covering on every snap and having a guy like Mims definitely would help out with that. The size aspect is a question. The contested catch ability is a question, but look at the Dolphins. They have Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill as their top two receivers. Both guys are incredibly, incredibly explosive and fast, and neither of them are very big. Neither of them are very daunting, you know, downfield catch the ball and in, in make a circus catch type of threats. Tyreek is better at it than he probably should be for his size, but I wouldn't say that he's to the level of a DK Metcalf or a Julio Jones or a Calvin Johnson or anything like that. And it doesn't seem to matter for Miami. 
Uh, I would argue that Waddle and Hill were the best receiver tandem in the league last year and didn't matter whatsoever about their size. You could feel that offense with that much speed where you add an Odell, you add a Marvin Mims, you already have Garrett Wilson, you have Brees Hall in the backfield. That's a whole heck of a lot of speed on this offense to have to cover. And I think it could work really well. Going back to Tillman's stats real quick. Tillman had 417 yards and three touchdowns this past season, playing through injuries and missing a handful of games. The year before in 2021, he had 1,081 yards and 12 touchdowns, an average 17 yards a catch. So that's the, the difference of what we're talking about in health and availability. Look at 2021. But back to Mims, I, I like his talent a lot. I think he could fit in. He gives you another option in the return game. I, I think there is a little more skill there than he gets credit for. I think he's got some nuance in his routes. I think he's got some good hands. I am never going to expect a guy that's 5'10 and 180-something to be the, the best contested catch, go over the middle and take a shot sort of player, but he doesn't seem too scared of it. He doesn't seem like it, it bothers him that much. He can make the tough catches when he needs to. I've seen him do it. You know, I, I think there is a wide receiver with track speed here, not a track star playing wide receiver, and that's really important. Yeah, I mean, the some of the, the circus catches this guy made were, are very impressive. I, I think it was Texas Tech. He had this one catch where he, he uh, the defender gets in his face, uh, and he isn't able to make the catch right away, but then he's able to recatch it on the guy's back, pretty much. <laughs> So the amount of concentration it takes to, to do that while falling to the ground is pretty spectacular. Uh, and in the slot, he gets to really uh, put his uh, ability as a, as a route runner uh, on, on display. Uh, I like the way he attacks leverage. Uh, he can get def- uh, defensive backs spinning around, uh, and he really knows how to attack them once they turn their hip. So he's, he's very good at this, and yeah, it is it, a weapon with his speed, with his open field ability. Uh, he's got a lot to, to like. Yeah, I agree. I, I really agree. I think the question with him is how does he fit in with the rest of the group? Because in a way, he's kind of redundant to Mecole, but I think he might have the ability to be a better pure receiver than Mecole. And Mecole's a little better as the, the after the catch gadget player. But I guess if you need a backup for Mecole Hardman, this absolutely could do. If you want another guy that has that sort of elite speed, this absolutely could do. If you're looking to just throw the ball over the yard and let Rodgers chuck it deep, and this is another guy you could do that with. And yeah. you could have a, a four-receiver set of Mecole, Garrett, Odell, Marvin Mims. Okay, good luck. Run four verts every play. <laughs> Someone's going to get open. Someone's going to get behind the defense eventually. So I, I could I could absolutely see that fitting. Last guy I want to talk about today as we switch back over to the, the bigger possession bodies friend of Brees Hall, uh, funny enough, another Iowa State Cyclone, that's Xavier Hutchinson. Xavier Hutchinson was a late watch for me, but the more I see of him, the more I like him. And he's just, he's not quite my mold of player. So it's weird that I'm i am falling for this guy, but these are the guys that usually when this happens to me where they don't fit my, my particular mold of prototype of what I like, but I end up liking them for a lot of other reasons anyway, they end up being pretty good and hitting. So I'm, I'm thinking that Xavier Hutchinson is going to fill that mold. He plays really big. His ability to adjust to the ball in the air, make catches extended from his frame, box people out, be tough over the middle if he's running around and he's got a guy on his back to create separation where even if he's not a yard or two fully away, he's plays like he's so big and wide and strong that he can just box himself out and create a window for his quarterback anyway. His bulk tracking is excellent. His mm-hmm. ball tracking is some of the best I've seen out of anybody from this class this, uh, this past year. It's it's ridiculous. He had a catch. I think it was against Texas where he's running a slot fade to the left sideline and he's going up and tracking the ball to the sideline and he's got his head completely and totally like pinned over behind his back <laughs> as he's drifting upfield and falls and drifts to the sideline. You know what play I'm talking about? Yeah, and yeah. and he falls and lands at the corner and it ends up being like a 25 yard gain down to the, the four yard line. And it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible tracking where he's He's like at a 45 degree angle with his head completely turned backwards in the air, running forwards with his back bent behind him. And he still catches the ball and keeps his feet in bounds. It was it was special. I had a, I saw a play from Chris Alave a year before uh, the year before that was very, very similar to that, that stuck out to me. It went, oh, my goodness, that was incredible. Like, this is the play I show anybody when I ask what does ball tracking look like? Xavier Hutchinson had a rep just like that. He's pretty solid after the catch. He's got a lot of effort. He's not the fastest or most outright explosive, but it's better than he probably gets credit for. I think defenses underestimate his ability to run. 
and he's not no fear of running through tackles. He's got he's you know has the effort, the strength to try and run through people. Uh, can make people miss in short order when he absolutely has to. It's not the best part of his game, but it's there. And and it really caught me off guard when I was looking at his tape because I watched I went straight to his tape and didn't even look up measurables, game statistics, anything else. I just said, okay, this guy's at Iowa State. I'm going to pull up Iowa State film and watch him today. And when I went and checked his testing numbers, I was so surprised because he plays so much bigger and so much faster than he tested. When I was just watching him on tape, I thought he was going to be about six foot three, at least 210 pounds, you know, bigger bodied ability to jump. I was expecting 37 inch vertical, you know, somewhere in, in the, the low four, four or low four fives to high four, four range and, and a, a big athlete. I was expecting, you know, something similar to a Cedric Tillman really because that's on film i was seeing basically a, a less dynamic cedric tillman uh, of a guy that was big that was strong that could make catches in traffic track the ball adjust his body all of that and you go to his testing numbers and he was six foot two and he was 203 pounds he ran a four five three and he had a one five five ten split which is not bad which is similar to cedric tillman but i was expecting a little bit better and i was expecting him to be bigger than six two two hundred i was he plays like he's six three two fifteen he plays like he's 6'4". He is uh, he has the the big body in the frame and his arm length is also shorter as well at 31 and 3 eighths, which is not super, super long for a wide receiver. He's able to make catches outside of his frame and extend his catching radius and, and be a quality target for his quarterback that knows that you're going to have a chance for this guy to come down with the ball, regardless of where he is, or regardless of who's covering him. I was really surprised that he was as small as he actually tested to be. And it's a testament to his ability and his timing and his acumen and just how he plays the game that he plays so much bigger than a 6'2", 200. I really, I really thought there was a, a much bigger receiver here. The route running talent, I really, really like. He's able to sink and get in out of his breaks. It's not the absolute sharpest cuts you're ever going to see in the world, but he's deceptive with it. He does it quickly. They're flat. They're not too rounded. He doesn't tip off anything to his receivers. And like you were talking about with Marvin Mims, He's really, really good at reading leverage and adjusting his route mid route because of that, where if he does release off the line and he's trying to run up the field and do a go route and he's got an outside release at first and the cornerback stays stacked on top of him and is trying to run right by him. Well, he'll give the corner a little out and in, go with the arm over and try and cross over in front of his face and run up down the field that way. The corner hops into trail. Then it's the OK, I went outside. Now it's straight acceleration. I don't have to try and chop you up. You're behind me. I'm going to run past you. There's that little bit of nuance there that I really like, and I, I think he's a valuable piece. I have about a fourth round grade on him. I think he's a late third, maybe early fourth round player. And this is the the guy where I'm not ever expecting him to be a dynamic factor, monstrous piece in the passing game. But if he's your number four wide receiver, you, you could you have a really, really good number four wide receiver. Yeah, I have a third round grade on him. Um, you're not lying about that body control and, and, and tracking ability. Uh, the, the one that you're it's talking elite. about, it, it, that, that wasn't uncommon. There's multiple times where you think he's doing limbo uh, out there uh, and he's just bending over backwards for, for catches. He doesn't always come up with it, but the fact that he's able to, to even do it uh, is so impressive. Uh, and yeah, his physicality at the catch point uh, or hand fighting down the line, he shows it all. Uh, I, I see defenders struggling to, to keep up with him and then he just brushes them right by and in the end they're on the floor and he's in the end zone with the ball in his hand uh he, i think the the next closest uh, receiver for iowa state was about half as many targets he had 161 targets uh so he had a lot of balls thrown his way and over 100 receptions which is very impressive uh so he, he teams knew where they were going with the ball a lot of the time it was going to be Xavier Hutchinson and they would throw everything at him and he would still come away with a lot of great receptions and uh, runs after the catch. Uh, so the amount of production that you have from a guy like that, that where everybody knows what's coming and you could still do it. That is a great uh, weapon to have. Uh, and then when it comes to what Iowa state really does, it's not really throw the ball, it's run the ball. So yep. in this kind of offense, you need to be able to block. Uh, and he does a very good job of using his physicality uh, to overpower smaller uh, defensive backs. Uh, and just shows like a true willingness to actually be a part of the run game and not just 
uh, a weapon on the outside uh, to be thrown at. So, yeah, he he offers a lot. Uh, I I also have a, a. Oh, you said you had a fourth round grade on him, right? So yeah, I early four, late third, early, early four. four. Yeah, that's that's. Well, I have maybe just a little bit lower, but it, it's in that range. Um, so yeah, it, it, it it's 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 a shame that we're kind of thinking like, oh well, is wide receiver a need where we should maybe spend a one or a two on them? And I feel like we're probably leaning towards no uh, when it comes to wide mm-hmm. receiver. So yep, I, I then, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I don't want to spend a first round pick on a wide receiver. The wide receivers in the first round are not are not as good as they should be for as high as they're going to be picked. Yeah, exactly. And and then it's more like, all right, so then if we're looking later, who are the next batch of guys that we really like? Uh, and they're kind of falling in the third round range where we don't have a pick currently. Uh, so then it's really us kind of just hoping that one of these guys squirts into the fourth round. Um, which I'm not sure we should count on. So I, I am a, a big proponent of trading back in the first round and getting more picks, maybe a, a return of a third round pick. Uh, and that would put us uh, squarely in the path of maybe drafting a guy like Hutchinson uh, or Mims and not hoping that they fall to the fourth. Because, you know what, even if mainstream draft Knicks uh, are not really up on, on Hutch and, and Mims right now. I feel like there's a lot of teams that love these guys, and especially guys like, like Hutch with his size and physicality. Yeah. And I was saying before uh, a couple times <laughs> that uh, these kinds of guys are at a premium in this draft. So these guys are going to go a little bit higher than I think uh, most people might have them ranked. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, and we alluded to it. I think it would be we wouldn't be doing this episode justice if we didn't mention the the two or I would say two guys, maybe three guys, but we'll say two at the top of the draft that it seems like Jets fans are the most interested in potentially taking with that 13th overall pick. And that would be Jordan Addison from USC and Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Very good players. Not like these guys are bad, not like they're you know horrible or horrendous or anything else, but it's about value. It's about grade. It's about value relative to players the year before where if i'm looking purely as prospects and guys that are going to be going in the 13th overall range well the year before you had jameson williams chris Olave, garrett wilson went 10 11 12 i'm sitting here thinking looking at uh jordan addison and jackson smith and jigba saying neither of them are anywhere near garrett wilson chris Olave, or jmo as prospects at no. least in my rankings i don't think there is there is a considerable, considerable gap between that. And I know Garrett Wilson himself and Chris Olave themselves have said Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be better than both of us. He's the best one of the three. And I support them in their evaluations and they're, you know, supporting their friend and teammate for that. That's great. The tape says otherwise. The tape says that that Smith and Jigba was the number three of that group. And I think that he had a such a big year the year before, partly because he had these two other guys drawing so much attention around him. And he got to be a little bit of the forgotten man coming off an injury as well. Definitely going to be a question. He seems to be healthy. He did some good testing at the combine, tested at Ohio State's pro day as well. And it seems like he's going to be healthy coming into the next year. But you're still having to get back to a form that I, I we've only seen glimpses of. And on top of that, I just don't think he's the most explosive athlete. And if you're going to like we keep talking about, if you're not going to be an explosive athlete, then there's got to be something else there that you can use as your calling card that gives you the the ultimate advantage over everybody else where JSN's not that big. He's about 6'1", you know, 200 pounds, give or take, where it's not small, but we're not talking dominant outside size like a Cedric Tillman at 6'3", and almost 220 pounds, a completely different style of guy. We're not talking about someone that's got the most incredible contested catch ability where I think his JSN wins with his routes. He wins with his quickness. He wins with his ability to set up defenders and he can make plays in short space after the catch, but he's not the most dynamic break all the tackles, burn every pursuit angle type of receiving threat either. And Jordan Addison for what it's worth might be the most overrated top receiver in a receiving (laughs) class. I can remember the guy. I don't even have a first round grade on. (laughs) No, me either. No, I don't have a first round grade on either of these guys. They're they're second round players for me. 
And the fact that, like, this is the difference is we both had, we both thought Garrett and Chris Olave were like top 10 picks. Yeah. We were both very, very sound in saying these guys are dynamic, explosive. They went down the field. Their routes are crisp. Their hands are crisp. They can be number ones. They can make plays after the catch. They have everything you could possibly want. We really like these guys. There's questions that we both have with Addison and Smith and Jigba. And I'm, I don't care if draft media is differing of an opinion. Jordan Addison is not a first round player. Sorry. Like it come, come get me USC fans. That's fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Very talented route runner. Very good at setting defenders up. Average speed, average explosion. Agility is average as well. Very limited after the catch. Needs to have open space to make plays. Struggles with contested catches. Struggles with press. Basically, if he's not getting an opportunity to just get a free release, get a guy in off coverage and chop him up with a route and get open over the middle and make a catch and, and continue from there, or if he's going to get like a stutter go down the sideline, it really struggles for him to make an impact. He had a Heisman winning quarterback on, on top of it, and he had one of the best offensive play callers in the country and Lincoln Riley as his OC and head coach. You should have been putting up more than what you did. I'm sorry. This is he's he's not a first round player. I think he was definitely out of position, though, at USC. Uh, he was played mostly on the outside, uh, where back at Pitt, where he had his amazing season, was on the inside. Uh, he just doesn't show the, the grit and the physicality, uh, the sideline awareness, to, to really be an outside guy. And I think that really hurt him, despite having everything else kind of be there with the quarterback and the coaching staff and the offense it was really set up for him to thrive uh the only problem was he just wasn't in the best position to thrive uh as far as actual position um and he does have some yak ability but it's really just running away from people it's Mm -hmm. not really he's not going to make you miss he's not going to run through any tackles you touch him he goes down yeah you touch him he's going to go down uh, most a lot of his production is just like wide receiver screens, where he's just asked to just run by people after the catch, uh, and he's he definitely does that well. But yeah, he's he's not the kind of guy uh, that I'm going to be looked at as as a true inside outside guy that can fit kind of like we we're talking about with OBJ. Uh, he's not going to be uh, the physical outside guy like we're talking about with Corey. Uh, so it's what, what is he at that point then? And it's not a first round pick. No, he's a really good slot receiver and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's not like we're saying that this guy is useless or terrible or anything else, but it's about assessing value and accurately adjusting from, from that angle. You have a guy that can pretty much only win from the slot that doesn't do much after the catch. If he's not given free space to do it with that struggles when he gets pressed, that, has had some of the best support you could possibly ask for and, and did worse than he did before he had the support. Granted, like you're saying, it was a bit out of position, but you would hope that maybe if you're going to be the Bolitnikoff winner, best receiver in the country, that going outside shouldn't ruin you. You know, this is plenty of other receivers around the country play in all different spots and are just fine. So I, there's there's questions here. This guy is a second round pick, and that's cool. That's great. But taking him at 13 is a reach. Taking him at 13 is an overdraft. And if Jordan Addison doesn't become a, a or JSN for that matter, too, don't become just excellent balls to the wall, fantastic receivers like a Garrett Wilson. That's the expectation you're putting on them with that 13th overall selection. And I don't think they're going to reach it. In my opinion, Matt, there is one first round receiver in this draft, and it's a fringe first rounder for me. And that's Quentin Johnson. Quentin at TCU. Dustin, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's he's it. He is the one first round receiver, and I have a late first round grade on him. Uh, it is not a competent top 10, top 15, anything. I, I think he's really good. I love his explosive talent. I love his size. I love his body control. I love his ability to make catches in the air. I think he's better after the catch than he gets credit for. I think his his quickness is better than he gets credit for. And, and he has that extra ability with the ball in his hands to not only run away from people, but run through them. Uh, you know, I think there is a, a dynamic, dynamic athlete there. I think you got to teach him how to be a receiver a little bit. I think you got to widen his route tree. I think you got to help with the nuances a little bit, but there is a first round receiver athleticism and frame there, and it's barely there. And everybody else is at least a second round pick. Yeah, I mean, I do have a, like a, a very late first round grade on, on JSN. Uh, I, I do think what he can do uh, as far from the slot is very impressive. Uh, and 
I, I, I believe he's the best of the slot guys that we, we, we've talked about, uh, or even the ones that we haven't talked about. So the fact that he's on top will put him in demand. Uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's right there on, on the cusp. And yeah, Quinn Johnston, his yak ability, I think, believe, is probably the best in the class. Uh, yep. And at his size, it, it, he's got kind of uh, Quincy Inouye uh, uh, feelers out there when, when he's running through people and just making people miss. Uh, he, he's definitely got a lot of ability on top of just being a great uh, receiver. It, 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 it's a lot to like with him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that does it for this week. It's been a huge overview of this wide receiver position. Still got a lot of work to do for the Jets. Interested to see what they do in the draft. I would bet money that they draft at least one. I don't know what round it's going to be. I don't know how high or how low, but I really think they're going to add at least one body in the draft to this group. Hopefully it's one of the guys that we talked about and we brought up. I think we could have either fit you want to have, whether you want to have the big body outside guy or you want to have the smaller, shiftier, extra speed to go along with the speed that's already there. Uh, I think you can't go wrong either way, and you just got to have another body to round out the group. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, one of these guys, hopefully. But uh, there, there's there's so many guys that we didn't even talk about uh, that could also get looked. You have uh, Dave Flowers, Nathaniel Dell, uh, Josh Downs, uh, among many others. So there's, there's three kind more of, slot uh, guys. Yeah, lots of slot guys. Uh, so really, just pick your poison, uh, and you've you've got some some guys to run with. Yeah, I think so. Appreciate you guys tuning in this week, Matt. You know the drill. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jeff. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Appreciate you guys stopping by. And we'll be back next week to break down linebackers as we inch closer and closer to the 2023 NFL Draft. Thank you guys for stopping by. Bye-bye.